This is Caroline Jane Miller. Welcome to Brew Theology. Don't forget to share the brew. All right, welcome listeners to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan, and tonight's pretty special. Janelle and I are here with Piper. Piper's in town from Tallahassee now. She's an old school Denver brew theologian. Back in the day, she was actually our first female. You and when Kyle came, and you you were the first female. Yeah. So uh, Kyle finished his degree, and Piper's still working on it. So she came back here. She's staying with us. Little little plug for the Isla School of Theology. We'll have another plug later tonight. And from what I understand, Piper, uh, we may have a Tallahassee brew theology in the works. Yes, hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll have something started. In Tallahassee. All right. Sweet. So go to brewtheology.org to see how you two can partner and even sponsor with us. And Janelle has reminded me that we do have a Patreon page and a donate button. Um, so hopefully, if you know you like the show and you like what we do and you are willing and able, you can give us $1 a month. Yep. That's Absolutely. it. Pretty easy. Or five or 10. Or you can do that. You can, you can go higher. Yeah. If you have, if you have it. And we're not, you know, this isn't a guilt thing at all, and we're not about money. So tonight we've got everything from bullet rye whiskey to some um, tequila, El Gose. I've got a New England style IPA from Odd 13. And we have the privilege to be talking uh, with Dr. Jennifer Leith from ILF School of Theology. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. She's got a crazy amount of degrees. I don't even know where to start. I think Janelle had mentioned them last week at the pub. Like you got your bachelor's at Harvard. And then you went on to Union Seminary, and then you got a bunch of others from Yale, and uh-huh. then you got your PhD at Yale. It's so, awesome. Oh, uh, that's yeah, a highly distinguished professor here. I will say, I know, yeah, yeah, and I know you're extremely humble, but this is a, for us. This is an honor to have you here. Thank you. And uh, before we just kind of get going on the topic, which is frontiers in womanism, queering the approach. We did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'd just love to hear more about your. your backstory if that's okay and kind of how you became an academic you didn't become one overnight you you grew up somewhere and as a kid you fell in love with this obviously at some point and you know in your earlier career but tell us a little bit more about you know where you're from and yeah we'll go from there yeah so um I I am the daughter of um of uh Jeffrey and Susan Leith and I think I need to begin there uh, and perhaps in honor of of other ancestors, I am uh, am also the granddaughter of Bertha Leith, the granddaughter of Juanita Jones, and um, and also the great granddaughter of a Reynolds. And so I I um I just want to remember them and pay on homage to them. But uh, but my my mom and dad uh, really um, I I owe it owe it all to them. <laughs> um, so uh, my father is a has served as a pastor for many many years, an itinerant pastor in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and uh, so I was born in Cincinnati, um, where my mom was taking classes at the time. My father was serving in Providence, Rhode Island Church there, but soon after my birth, moved to Norristown, Pennsylvania which is where I spent the first nine years of life. It's hard to say where I'm from, though, because after that, um, we uh, we moved to Wilmington, Delaware for three years, and then to um, uh, to Philadelphia proper, if you will, um, for, um, for uh, the remainder of my time through high school. 
Um, and my father, I believe, is if if he's not uh, fifth, he's fourth generation uh, pastor in the AME Church. And um, and I I, uh, I I grew up um, watching him, and also watching my mom, who's. Uh, in in the healing business uh, as a family practice doctor, and um, and and both of them had a um, strong influence on me, and just demonstrated in their tireless work just how important it is to work, but also to do work um, that that we feel called to, um, and and to do work that really does serve to make the world a better place, and. Uh, touch people's lives. And so, you know, I, I had a kind of experience with, um, with Jesus, if you will, a personal encounter. Um, one, uh, I think it was around Thanksgiving um, evening service in, in the middle of a week when um, Reverend Free, a Baptist pre- preacher from um, the, who, who was uh, pastoring in the Norristown area was preaching and he preached about prayer and the significance of prayer, and it connected. And while I had been contemplating, you know, walking up to the front of the church and accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, <laughs> having that kind of uh, kind of acknowledgement of a, a a moment of coming to faith, this this moment was really my my time. Um, and from that point on, I I just kind of grew in in faith and grew in um, in uh, in my um, in 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 my sense of who I was in relation to the faith, which often looked like you know asking my friends when when I was about Caroline's age uh, to please sit with me after church and 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 listen to me preach <laughs> little sermons that I had I had written out, but um, I didn't um, accept um, a call to preach, if you will, not formally until. Um, I until my 16th birthday, and then uh, preached my trial sermon um, about two years later uh, when I was 18. And so, um, in 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 the course of these years, though, between the ages of seven and uh, and um, seven and 18, I, I was in various ways coming also into an understanding of who I was in terms of my sexual identity um, through the, the things that just are part of everyday kids' life. <laughs> um, just, you know, learning who's who and who's got what and who's doing what. <laughs> but, but, also, but also coming to understand that uh, maybe I'm a little bit different. Um, and uh, and when, I, when I... uh came to terms with um, what felt consistent with my natural and what was right in my spirit and soul for my body. <laughs> um, that, uh, that was not in line with um, a kind of heteronormative way. And, um, and there were moments in, in my childhood and ad- adolescence where that kind of pushed against the grain. Uh, but I had a really extraordinary experience at the Youth Theology Institute uh, that was held in Emory at, at Emory's Candler School in 1998 during the summer of my following my junior year into my senior year of high school, and um, 
during that month, I encountered people and texts that, um, that uh, enabled me to, to come into a fullness of understanding my faith and my sexual identity and gender identity altogether. And that was pretty extraordinary. Um, and, um, and that, um, uh, that, that really changed my life. Um, it changed my life so significantly because on, on returning from, um, from that experience, I read new things, I asked new questions, and I didn't feel the need to hide or to deceive about who I was uh, in the same ways. I, I, I had felt that a bit before, but coming back from that experience, I didn't. And so I knew, again, by the time I was 16, uh, I, had, I had actually shared that I would, was, felt the call, but it was really when I was 15 that I had this extraordinary experience where it was just like God was saying, yes, to, you know, yes, you're called to ministry, but wait. So I waited about a year until like, okay, on my 16th birthday, it was like a weight, a heavy stone on my soul, um, this space somewhere between my chest and my stomach <laughs> just weighed so heavily that it was like, okay, you've got to share now. And, um, and, and, and I did. And, um, and I, I knew that I was called to preach. I knew that I was called to a, a lifetime of ministry and to the pastorate um, specifically even. but. Um, but the yes, but wait was was an important part of my call itself, and has been a por- an important part of how I've experienced my embodiment of the call on my life at different points in life. So, you know, it it, it was clear to me um, at some point uh, going into college that while I had this call. Uh, and while I knew that this was my life's work, that my sexuality was going to make this a little bit difficult. And in the AME church, there's not affirmation um, necessarily. Uh, there are people who are affirming. Um, there are uh, certain congregations. There are certain leaders um, who are affirming. But the church as a denomination has not taken a position of affirmation with respect to LGBTQ uh, folks in ministry or um, in in marriage uh, or or in in terms of um, uh, faithful practice, if you will. So, I I knew that I couldn't really completely rely on the church um, for my sustenance and daily bread and uh, and a financial living, if you will. Um, but still wanted to be full time in the ministry and, and the ministry kind of work that I did, and and so. That's part of what led me to, um, to research and to the academy, especially to uh, the academy with respect to religion. Um, and, um, and, and through what I study and through what I write about, I try to, um, I try to respond to what I, th- I think is a need within the church, which is to develop discourse on sexuality um, and, and to develop culturally competent, if you will, um, discourse on sexuality within the African Methodist Episcopal Church, within black churches generally, and within black religion even more broadly. So um, so in the process of doing all that, though, I, I have felt God's call to that in a different way um, and, and have felt 
um, a, a call to, um, to the reading and to the writing and to um, the kind of um, taking time with texts and research that is required of an academic. And that, and that is kind of my life's work, my, the, the work, as Katie Cannon would put it, that my soul must have. And maybe that's a good place to, um, to, to stop, at least with respect to how I've come to, um, to my sense of call. It is a call to uh, both pastoral ministry and, uh, and, to, and to academic work and research and teaching and learning um, and writing uh, with respect to these matters um, for the sake of communities that have been um, silenced and have been vulnerable with respect to these things. But I, I, I would have to say at first um, it was kind of just a pragmatic sort of like, you know, I can't afford to compromise my prophetic voice and my dignity and personhood. I, I know who and how God has made me and um, I've got to be able to preach the good news uh, according to that, that also, also revealed truth. So I, I personally have faced um, what I now can name as discrimination and bias in the tradition that I came from, and that's been hard to process and came to a point where I finally chose to leave instead of to stay. What can you name? What kept you going in the face of people that were, pro- I assume, telling you, you can't do this. Um, what kept you going? Or maybe you didn't face that. Well, so, uh, I mean, for, for me, um, my, my faith, yes, I would call it Christian in the sense that I, I, believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the way um, that Jesus lived and, and uh, the way he offered himself to the world and then offered himself up, even his life, um, for his friends, uh, among whom I, I hope um, I'm, I'm counted. <laughs> I, I believe I'm counted. And, and you know, and, 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 and so I, I follow that, um, and I follow Jesus. And also part of what that really means for me is as a person of African descent in the, in the United States, the land so-called, you know, which I still hold as Turtle Island. I mean, it really is not ours. We're just kind of inhabiting it and inhabiting it and occupying it, if you will. Um, it's, it's a, um, it, it, it's, and, and, and that is, that is a truth that remains something I think that is, is worthy of remembering. Um, even if we live in ways that don't acknowledge that, um, that all of that for me is is a part of what it what what my life of faith is about and and, and what it means. So for me, uh, there's a way that um, uh, that I am I I feel a responsibility. Uh, to those whose lives were lost in the Middle Passage. I, I feel a debt of gratitude to those who dared to live through enslavement and, and to live un, unto this day. I feel a debt of gratitude to those who 
decided to persevere and to try to make a way in this land, uh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for those folks. And so, you know, for me, the African Methodist Episcopal Church is different than just Christianity. Um, it's different than how, how I think about mainline Protestant Christianity. Um, I don't know that I could stay if okay. that's what I had been born into. Um, for me, there is a, an ancestral debt and responsibility and connection. Um, for me, you know, I, I live, you know, with, um, with, the, with, with the memory of ancestors like Denmark VC and, um, and others who, who remembered indigenous African religious traditions and practice those alongside a kind of Christianity in Mother Emmanuel, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. You know, that, that, that's, that's part of my legacy. That's part of my ancestry. And so, you know, um, I, and, and, and part of what was survived also was an attack on, on gender, on sexuality, and on family. To the point that these things all had to be recreated, recreated for the sake of survival, but also recreated just uh, in in response. And so, for me, I I don't have trouble staying in the tradition, and I I will stay unless or until I'm kicked out, because it's not it's not about it's not it's not just about an evangelical kind of faith in Jesus, even though. For me, not only do I do I believe in in the physical person of Jesus, but I, I believe quite seriously in um, the power and manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and in the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit being manifest in various various ways, and in the ways that the ancestors also kind of like the great cloud of witnesses, if you will, in in, in the language of Hebrews, or like um, the uh, the um, in in uh, indigenous African tradition you might call the Orishas or like like the you know those from whom we've descended like they kind of inspire and empower um, uh, the, the 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 kinds of kind of ways that they um, if you will mount us um, and and give us strength and give us direction um, even if it's as simple as uh, pouring a libation um, in honor of of one who has gone before, uh, or uh, or if it's um, more serious um, and and uh, and expressed in uh, in in some other form of um, uh, form of sacrifice, for instance. But um, but these are so, so these things for me are very much intertwined and interconnected. I would not say that there is necessarily that level or that degree of consciousness among every AME person. Um, yeah. For some, it really is just about Christianity. And, and, and in fact, there, there are some who debate whether or not Africans should be a part of the title anymore of the denomination. Uh, because, because the goal is, is a missionizing goal to bring people to Christ. And anything that might stand in the way of that, for instance, a title like African, that would distract. 
from the Christian message. Except it doesn't sound like that's a distraction in your tradition. No, not for me. And and I, well, I it shouldn't yeah, be yeah. for anyone. It should call us to remember. Yeah, I mean that, that would that would be my hope, and um, and 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 I really do believe that it is it is and should be a denomination that invites all, really in and through that name. And I mean, and and it is a, a tradition where we do have um, have members of European descent. We have ministers of European descent, and and I think that um, they are really embodying. Of what, what, perhaps Martin Luther King might have envisioned, in terms of um, a desegregation model uh, for the eleven o'clock hour, um, yeah. it's it's not so much that uh, black folks ought to go and join white churches, but um, but maybe there's some of of European descent, right, who could who could join the churches of uh, of people of African descent. It's different. They wouldn't fall asleep in church. So there is that. I mean, I've always said we need a little bit more dancing and celebratory action in the white churches. So uh, this is, maybe this is something that we can go back to later so we could pause that button because I would love to hear more about that, that, stroll with, stroll, that struggle, sorry, that struggle in your coming out and your identity uh, within this particular denomination and in the black church at large. But I think maybe that's uh, we can get to there. In a little bit, you you do describe yourself as a womanist and queer, and so if we could just break down those terms for those who are listening and they've never heard of womanist and they've never heard of queer, and then and then we'll just kind of go from there if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So womanist is a term that uh, was coined by Alice Walker. Um, most most popularly, um, it's it's cited um, in. N- her 1983 in search of our mother's gardens uh, definition um, where she speaks of uh, womanish um, as a part of black folk expression of mothers to female children in her first definition, you acting womanish like a woman, usually referring to outrageous, audacious, courageous, or willful behavior, wanting to know more and in greater depth than is considered good for one interested in grown up doings Acting grown up, being grown up, interchangeable with another black folk expression, you trying to be grown, responsible, in charge, serious. And <clears throat> there are other ways that this is defined as well. Uh, a second definition, a, a woman who loves other women sexually and or non-sexually, uh, appreciates and prefers women's culture. Um, there are ways that the definition also speaks to a uh, an appreciation of diversity, intra-cultural diversity within black culture, and also um, a quest for freedom. Uh, so uh, always that plea, let's go to Canada. Um, it's free land um, to a place where we culturally are free. Um, also um, rooted in love, love of music, love of dance, love the moon, love the spirit, loves food and uh, loves love and roundness, loves struggle, loves the folk, loves herself regardless. And, um, and, and this contrast uh, between the definition of womanist um, to feminist as purple is to lavender is also important to Alice Walker's definition. Now, um, I, uh, in, in, in the time that we spent together uh, last week, I referred to um, Walker's 1979 
um, essay in, entitled Coming Apart that was published in Miss Magazine, where she also has a, a, an earlier definition of womanist uh, that, she, that she provides. And, um, and uh, there she says, a womanist is a feminist only more common. Um, and, and, and it's further explained um, as uh, being part of black vernacular and therefore a black cultural word or term. And so not needing the adjective of black as in black womanist or black feminist, but in, in and of itself, because it, it is part and parcel of black cultural vernacular, um, it being itself already a word, a term that embodies blackness and black womanhood. Um, and so this is, this is important to, to Alice Walker's kind of introductory way of thinking about, um, about womanism what E. Patrick Johnson does when he coins the term queer, which is a, um, a queering, if you will, of queer, or a queering of queer, depending on how you look at it, perhaps. Um, but he's, he's, he's hearkening back to, and doing so intentionally, hearkening back to Alice Walker's definition of womanism. In fact, he frames it in a very similar way. Um, and for him, queer is similarly part of black vernacular because it's part of how his black Southern grandmother would say queer. Um, and, and so um, just as one might say, well, you know, womanist is maybe a way that in black Southern vernacular, one might have said feminist if they were going to say that word or, or, or use or invoke that kind of term. So E. Patrick Johnson is, is talking about um, uh, queer as, um, as meaning queer, but, um, uh, but odd or slightly off kilter from the African-American vernacular for queer, um, sometimes homophobic in usage like queer, but always, uh, always denotes excess incapable of being contained within conventional categories of being. And, and, and that's very much about what queer and queer are about beyond categories, not something to easily, one can easily pin down, not something that is easily used as a category to which one can appeal, right? Even though I do appeal to it, um, at least methodologically. And, and similarly, there are many who would appeal to womanism methodologically. Um, those, for instance, who could not be womanists, right? But would yet appeal to uh, womanist methodologies um, as, a, as a way and approach um, but but also um, but also there's a way that um, womanism too um, is, is kind of slippery and um, and and would would not necessarily um, uh, sense itself a category. Um, I, I I would say that um, I I don't I don't Alice Walker did not anticipate that there would be a field of scholars, a field of religious scholars, a field of Christian theological religious scholars who would take up her term and, and develop study, a field of study around it, if you will. And, and similarly, E. Patrick Johnson is, uh, is not really interested in that project um, because of this kind of category defiance. But, um, but it is um, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender person of color who loves other men or women sexually or non-sexually and appreciates black culture and community. So you could hear that 
echo of the womanist definition and one who thinks and feels and acts uh, and sometimes acts up committed to struggle against all forms of oppression, racial, sexual, gender, class, religious, etc. And so again, he's hearkening back to this vision of a pursuit of freedom and an acting up, acting grown. Um, and, uh, and, and in, in, in the final definition, not only is he, um, is he clear about the intersection of these identities, um, of, of sexual and gender identities, um, along with racial subjectivity, but he, he, he says queer is to queer as reading is to throwing shade. And, um, and that is just like Alice Walker's final definition of womanist, um, where it is as, as it is to feminist as purple is to lavender. So there is this kind of metaphorical comparison that's taking place that helps us to kind of dig into, um, the significance of these in a, um, in, in, I think a, um, a metaphysical and, and spiritual sense, if you will. Um, and so um, I, I find that, um, that queer is a, a next step, a next stage, a frontier in, in womanism, if you will, because of the ways it draws on the womanist definition and pushes the boundaries even further and specifies something that was a, a point of contention in, uh, in the first and second uh, generations of womanist thinkers who were not sure whether or not they were going to take up um, the possibility of women loving other women sexually and or non-sexually. And so there was debate around the sexuality question. Uh, and so um, this is this, this possibility of engaging and, and recognizing the importance of sexuality as an, a kind of intersection, intersecting subject is, is part of why um, I see this frontier of 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 the queer, if you will, and and queering, um, and uh, and why I am I am kind of pressing in that direction and um, and moving in in the spirit of that direction. Is this similar to the kind of conflict that exists in feminism of including LGBTQ women in that discussion? Because it seems like that's always been a tension that's been there. So is this similar? Hmm. Yeah. So, so yes, within, it's so interesting within, within feminist studies. Yes. There, there has been tension around LGBTQ identity and inclusion and the ways that theories do and do not include, um, uh, LGBTQ concerns and interests. Um, and for sure, within uh, gay studies and then LGBT studies or GLBT studies, there, there have been um, concerns about the inclusion of the L, the inclusion of the B, the inclusion of the T. And then, and then finally kind of moving toward queer studies, queer is saying, well, we're not even sure about the concept of inclusion. Okay. <laughs> um, right. But, um, but uh there are certainly problems within the LGBT sorts of ways of thinking about um, sexual orientation um, and, and gender identity and, and queer troubles that. And so there, there are ways that um, E. Patrick Johnson's queer um, is, is helping along that kind of progression, but 
Um, I, I think that was a byproduct, not his intention. His intention was not to settle for once or and, and for all or to offer a, a new opening or field um, to um, a, a deficit within womanism, right? Because womanism is responding to a deficit, for instance, within feminism. Sure, right? yes. But queer is not responding to a deficit within womanism, right? And, um, and in, in, instead... I think, again, that's a byproduct. Womanist thinkers have already been, have been hashing that out within womanist thought and theory. And, I mean, really, um, while there are, I, I mean, and, and most popularly, I think Sheryl Sanders was one of the earliest and strongest voices against the inclusion of the women loving other women sexually um, sort of perspective. And that's really expressed... Uh, best in a round table that she did with other womanist scholars. I mean, w w still, even, even that notwithstanding the, this issue has been settled because the definition is already right. written. It's there. It's there. Got it. Um, so I was thinking just reading, cause I wasn't here last week to hear you talk, but you're talking about, um, womanist is to feminist as purple is to lavender. At first I was thinking like, oh, like purple is one way to describe like what lavender is. But then when you were talking about it, it clicked. It's more like, well, they both are completely separate. A color is nothing like a lavender flower or whatever. Or, the, or is it, did you mean like the color? Or like what exactly? Because I was thinking, did you mean two separate colors? Or is it more like the purple is just in a, they're just other categories, but they have small similarities where they kind of touch and there are bridges that connect them. But yeah, I was trying to get at that. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank yes, you. Thank all you. of that. So, I mean, yes, they are connected. They're, um, there are ways that they are of the same, but they are, but they are very different and distinct. They are two different colors. Mm hmm Right. And yet they do have similarities. They come from similar sources. Um, there is a, a, a depth in the purple um, that is, I think, important to remember. Yeah. I think there are lots of ways to exegete this line, uh, but also to remember, um, to remember in the color purple, which mm -hmm. Alice Walker writes, that, um, that God wants to be appreciated. And part of the remembrance that God, that the divine wants to be appreciated is in, in sitting and just watching and looking and observing um, a field of purple, a field of purple flowers. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's rich. It, it, and, and, and it's also part of what she's getting at. Um, Lavender is, is its its own mm -hmm. yeah. thing. It is a good thing. Lavender is good, but purple is different, and and purple is, um, it it offers different possibilities. And for her, it is part of how Celie is is ushered into a new access to the divine. She she sees the glory of the divine in and through the purple, um, and and through the field of the purple flowers, if you will, um, and, and through just an appreciation of the color, an appreciation of, of the isness of that. Um, and, and, so, um, and so that's why I can say yes. 
Um, <laughs> same, yes, different, yes, of the same. Um, and uh, and I, I mean, to me, one one thing that's coming um, as we as as we're talking is just yes, purple is a deeper shade, um, and this is uh, and this is um, part of the language that um, other womanists. Um, talk about uh, when when they talk about this particular line, um, the depth of the shade, and and that purple is this deepening of a shade. I I think though that there is something to mm, the way that that depth comes through red, and comes through blood, and comes through suffering, which is handled in a really kind of exquisite way in womanist thought. Um, the theodicy uh, in womanist thought does not rest easy with suffering being redemptive. Um, and so uh, even understanding Jesus' death as a, a kind of redemptive death is problematic for womanist thought and for womanist theology. Um, but, but we are clear, and as we, as we study and we think outside of black women's experience— we think specifically about the ways that that experience has so often and too often and disproportionately carried us through experiences of suffering, experiences of blood, bloodshed. Um, and, and that too is part of the deepening and the purple. Yeah, that's, I was going to ask that about if this, to be a womanist and to be a womanist queer, to put that on there as well, that does require someone to actually embody and experience some kind of hurt and oppression and pain, or at least be a part of that story in a way that's not somebody else's story. So that therefore I could never be a womanist queer or anybody around this table, except for you. Is this, is this true? Yeah, I, I would say, um, I, I would put it a queer womanist, uh, or, okay, or I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because that, the, the, the way you framed it, um, I, I was feeling the um, I was feeling the uh, history of uh, of the ways that you know um, that queer and queer can be and and how they have been at times used pejoratively um, and 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 outside of that kind of like um, uh, that kind of adjectival sort of. Um, uh, uh, determiner, if yeah, you will, yeah. for, for, for a person or a kind of this description for a person. Um, and, and so, um, that, uh, I mean, maybe it's inconsequential, but I, I think that, I mean, this is all about language. It's all about linguistics and, and, and queering things very much is, um, and so yeah, there's suffering and, and, and yeah, actually th there's actually, um, I mean, a history of of how people of African descent have been called outside of their names. Um, in fact, in fact, there's a, a kind of vernacular colloquialism, if you will. Um, uh, you know, don't call me out my name or don't call me outside of my name. And the, the process of self-naming really is important and is, I think, exemplified through the coining of these terms, through their emergence. And, um, and, and so in some ways, suffering begins um, with a question of the dignity of personhood 
the dignity, the, then the dignity of naming and self-naming, self-determination, uh, and then and, and then the kinds of gross exploitative experiences that come out after that, right? Of you know not being able to move, not being able to determine one's own work or get paid for it, or you know any host of other expressions um, of of these sorts of things. What I think is important about these terms is that though though they do have something to do with particular kinds of experiences, and I will often talk and teach about being as black as I can remember. And I say I'm as black as I can remember because um, on one hand, um, Katie Cannon writes about remembering what we never knew, um, and that is a part of how we come into a womanist consciousness and sensibility, but also because Elizabeth Alexander um, has written um, in um, Black Interior um, about the ways that um, that while there might be questions about um, essential blackness uh, or ontological blackness, as Victor Anderson would would question it um, and would call especially into question. Um, uh, James Cone, whom we honor um, on this evening, um, I, I I think that there 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 are ways that she she that is Elizabeth Alexander will say you know um, blackness even if not essential even if not biological is a matter of us having common experiences of particular kinds of suffering and so if all of our black sons are at risk when they go out and drive of being pulled over. Um, just because, uh, or if we are all worried about whether or not they're going to have a Trayvon Martin kind of situation, or if we are all worried about um, whether uh, our girls might be abducted and completely forgotten, as so many girls in Washington, D.C. have been within the past few years even. I mean, if, if, if this is our common experience, then we are as black as our, our common suffering and sense of, of threat. Uh, the, the ways that we sense um, a very particular kind of everyday existential reality. Um, and, and so um, I say I'm as black as I can remember. Um, and and in, in, in saying that, yes, there are ways that I'm invited to participate in a, in a kind of identitarian, if you will, way with womanist and queer, but it means nothing if I don't practice the things that womanism calls me to practice and queer call calls me to practice. What womanism calls me to practice is a, a, a persevering quest for freedom, a, an honoring of intracultural diversity. It calls me to a love of myself and of others. It calls me to, um, to be concerned about the whole world and all of, all of the earth and its inhabitants, and to do so in ways where I never compromise my dignity and personhood. Queer similarly calls me to act up for those things um, and to not deny any aspects of my intersecting reality and existence identity. Now, those pieces, those methodological pieces, are things that everyone at the table can participate in. <laughs> and, um, and no, we're not, we, we can't all necessarily say I'm a womanist, but we can all say I practice womanist principles. Right? Okay. Yeah. It's helpful. So cool.